Welcome to the Wolf Admin Podcast. Today I had a great discussion with my good friends, Drs. Darren Wright and Rusty Cry. We discussed gratify, bonus structures, empowering new associates, succession planning, and the CEO summit. Please enjoy our conversation. And as always, if you want to get the most current episodes, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star review. With that, I think, Darren, um, uh, you know, that's a good place to start when uh, when we talked uh, last week about kind of where you guys were and where you were, what were you doing and what you were doing in Kingwood, kind of tell me how uh, the the wisdom sharing group started to your knowledge and and where you kind of fit in with with that group within Vision Source. Sure. Um, well, Pete Kehoe uh, was kind of the main driver behind it and he kind of ran the show there and he says he's been wanting to do this for many, many years and um, finally got the the whole vision source administration team on board to go ahead and do it. Um, he kept mentioning uh, things similar to the Kleinman group where you get um, similar practices together and talk about pearls and what we're calling uh, in the wisdom sharing group nuggets. And specifically in our small group, we call them crusty nuggets, which are the little <laughs> pearl you get um, uh, to share with each other to, to really change your practice. But uh, that's essentially what he did is he, he starting it off, we were the pilot pilot group, and he's starting it off with uh, CEO Summit alumni. So if your CEO from your practice has been to one of their um, CEO Summit alumni uh, sessions in the past, then you would uh, get an invite to go to this first wisdom sharing group. And I think they're going to start Darren, off, off with that. Darren, let me ask you to take a little bit of a step back. I mean, first, let's, um, I know I kind of got right into it, but tell me about a little bit about kind of the history of your practice and, um, and how you've kind of transitioned through generations of that practice really quickly. And then how that translated into um, your experience at the CEO summit, and we'll go back a little bit further to try to kind of build on what the CEO summit has allowed you to do. And then now what some of the wisdom sharing group is going to allow you to springboard from there. So let's start with sort of the history of your practice, you know, why you're where you're at and, and why you you're growing and those sorts of things. Well, we have, I think kind of a unique or interesting practice history. Um, we can trace, uh, some of our equipment and things back clear into the 1800s, um, our, uh, transfer of ownership, we can transfer or, uh, look back to, uh, 1941, I think it was when, uh, Dr. Riggs, t- uh, started an optometry practice in Auburn, Nebraska. He was the first, mm. um, opt- uh, op- uh, optometry degree, um, licensed optometrist. And then he sold his practice to Dr. Pat Crotty. And then Dr. Pat Crotty brought in a couple of optometrists and ended up uh, having his uh, son as a longtime partner, which was John Crotty. And then when Pat retired, I came into the picture. And so then I practiced with Dr. John Crotty for about, I think it was 19 years. And then his son, Rusty, who was on the call with us, um, joined us. And so uh, Dr. Rusty Crotty is a third generation optometrist um, with me kind of sandwiched in between his uh, dad and himself. Well, that's an interesting dynamic, Rusty and and Darren, and either of you can can chime in. But uh, Darren, you know, I know, and Rusty, Rusty, I know your dad well, as you know, and he is sort of a a dominant figure in many positive ways for a lot of people. 
<laughs> and so, Darren, sometimes it can be really challenging to um, to come in for from somebody who's such a force and and really excel. And you've done that with a ton of grace. With in my perspective, and I and I, um, you know, I'm not just blowing smoke. Obviously, we can kind of mute mute you now, and then Rusty can tell me if that's true. But from my perspective, has been that you've done that with a lot of grace, and you've taken all the things that he's built. And and kind of incorporated them as your own, but then also use them to propel you to propel you forward as well as your ideas. So, how do you do that? Um, is it intentional? And um, and what's that been like from your perspective? Well, I think uh, it is kind of unique um, how I slid into the the three generations there. But John and I were uh, excellent partners just because we were we had different strengths. He was, you know, the big idea guy. And I was the more of the maybe numbers guy and, you know, bring in the new equipment with the latest technology, you know, younger guy. Um, and I think mm-hmm. we worked really well and, you know, build a great practice just because of our two different kind of personalities and, and strengths of how we get things done. And then fortunately the way Rusty and I work together is kind of similar, just that now I'm the CEO and, and he's, really great with, uh, you know, the people person with our staff and, and great ideas. And then I think we work together too, cause we have a little bit different strengths too. So I always look mm-hmm. at Absolutely. positive, um, with having John as a partner and then bringing Rusty. And I was actually, you know, it was a big sigh of relief when Rusty decided he wanted to join our practice because I knew he was an outstanding individual <laughs> and, uh, it's very difficult to get doctors to move to rural areas. So, you know, I was just very fortunate to have it all work out the way it has. Do you think, Rusty, um, there was any apprehension on your dad's part when he kind of left the practice and it was all Darren and and whether or not you'd kind of actually make that transition? Were you ever concerned about that? And if so, how did you mitigate that with with Darren and and kind of how was that process? Um, I would say that my dad is a little bit unique in the fact that even though he put his blood, sweat and tears into the practice, he is at peace with letting it go. Um, I could see where it could be challenging in some family dynamics, you know, um, where the father really wants to keep in control, but he just from day one said, you know, my, (laughs) I was just bridging the gap from grandpa to son and, my son's going to take over here and just run with it. So, um, and then he had practiced with Darren so long that he knew the practice was in good hands, but he really has just seemed at peace walking away from the practice and kind of letting us do our thing. Yeah. I've, I've gotten that sense too. And, and, um, which is really awesome to see and see both you guys just continue to, to grow it. So that brings us then to the CEO, CEO summit. So when did you attend the CEO summit? And Darren uh, and Rusty, can you give me some sort of pearls on, well, in, just describe it for us. I think that would be that would be good. What's the goal? What's the intent? Well, what, the way they broke it down is um, <clears throat> there ended up to be, um, what was it, about close to 30 practices, 25 to 30 practices signed up to do it. And then they broke us out into three groups um, and they broke it out according to practice size and practice similarities. So our group that we were in were uh, practices that had two or more locations, and then we we all ended up to be uh, you know, similar enough in 
our uh, gross receipts that it it worked out really well to compare our practices. And so it wasn't only just about comparing numbers and helping us um, see what each other's numbers were and what strengths and weaknesses we had and where we can improve, but it was also about those nuggets I was talking about, about sharing those pearls. So the way they set up the meeting was uh, you come in on Friday night and do kind of a mixer, which in our case was going to Top Golf, which is always fun. And then the next yep. day you just power out eight hours um, of just group discussion within your group. And we had a, a, a facilitator. His name is Claudio Lagunas, and he was really good. Mm-hmm. But um, like he said, he had about the easiest job you could ever get and get paid for because our group discussion went so well and just kept moving that he didn't really have to do much. He was there to try to keep things moving and make sure nobody dominated the whole thing. But he sat back and you know mostly listened and just kind of threw in things uh, when, he, when he needed to. But we had a great group. Our group had uh, eight practices, and there was nine doctors because Rusty and I were there together. All the other practices had one doctor. And then we also brought in mm-hmm. um, our COO, and two other practices brought um, administrators as well. So go ahead. So um, kind of – can you share me with with me a couple of nuggets that you that you took away from? I think you know in general when I think about a lot of the things that that go on within Vision Source, um, it is there's a lot of things that people think are secretive, and that's really just not the case. It just means that that uh, I, my interpretation is that sometimes we get busy with our days. I do the same thing, and I, I scroll past emails and I sort of skim through them and you know file them away, and maybe I'll get to them someday, but. Um, so I know that that happens, but, um, but there's nothing secretive about, about when you go to the CEO summit and then you go to, um, kind of some of these additional things to kind of help you grow beyond the CEO summit. So, but, but my point is, is that one of the most powerful things I've gotten, um, from vision source is just the idea sharing. And I've said this on numerous times on this podcast is just the idea of, you know, I know that there's people that have been doing this for a lot longer. And, um, and they've, there's certainly people have encountered the same unique, same situations. They're not unique to us. And so we can get information from them. We can learn best practices. So kind of tell me if you, if you can, Rusty, um, was there something that you kind of took away from, from this, from the original CEO summit or, um, the wisdom sharing? Correct. And this is going to be ongoing for you as well. You guys are going to stay in contact just like they do with climbing and those sorts of things. So you can compare things over time and check in on each other. Is that correct? Yep. We've got a group going, you know, sharing a Dropbox and Google folder. And we all kind of shared what our specific goals were leaving the, the wisdom sharing weekend. Um, and we plan to all reconvene in October, same group and, uh, kind of check in on our goals and have another, another weekend. Um, as far as the, they were called golden nuggets and our, yeah, our, our group <laughs> changed the name a little bit there. But, uh, so an interesting thing was just throughout our conversation, if we, you know, if something came up that we were like, Oh, that's good. You know, we would jot it down. And then at the end of our long day, we all voted on which was our best, uh, nugget to share with the larger group. So I'll share with you. It was pretty interesting. Um, the nugget that we voted on from our group, uh, was a way to rate patients hmm. um, from a clinic in Oklahoma. And it's been very successful for him. And it did raise a little 
ethics debate <laughs> um, with the rating system. So let me just explain the system and then we can chat about it yeah. a little bit. Yeah, yeah. But uh, he breaks down his patients um, labeling A, B, C, or D. And an that A personality patient, type? No, not on personality, but actually based on how much money they spent in his practice oh, wow. the year prior. Yeah. Interesting. So the A's would be somebody who spent more than $600 in your practice. So, you know, either got a good quality pair of glasses or maybe multiple pairs. Um, patient B would be somebody who spent four to 600. So maybe somebody getting contacts or, or, you know, uh, regular pair of glasses. And then group C would be less than 400. And then group D is somebody who is just getting their exam and walking, you know, either mm. taking their prescription or, um, you know, just not purchasing anything in your practice. Mm. So he also labels based on uh, the patient's attendance, kind of <laughs> training them in a yeah. way, I think. So um, so you could have an A, one, two, or three, um, and that would be how often they've canceled or no-showed. So one would be one or less, two would be one to two times, and then three or more is labeled a three. Mm. And so a lot of us were kind of, you know, raise our eyebrows like, well, what if your patients are find out that you're rating them and what, what's going to be their response? How are they going to react well, to that? And he's, well, Rusty, what, what do you think about the ethics of that? I mean, I mean, obviously, uh, I mean, from a practice management standpoint, from a business standpoint, there's probably, I mean, there's, there's no question then when, that when I walk into the Apple store, they probably have all my, my purchasing history that's coming straight from my phone, right? Absolutely. And we have no we have no illusion that that's not going on right and yet. And, and probably most other uh, retail outlets in, you know, can, can do that. Many others can and, and will soon, but you know, this is different, right? We're in, we're in the healthcare realm and we're we want to take care of patients yeah. regardless of that. So, so tell me about that. What are the ethics about that? What do you think about it? I kind of went back and forth to be honest. Um, at first I kind of, yeah, I was raising my eyebrows a little bit. Um, but the more he spoke about it and how confidently he spoke about it, I kind of came around to where I didn't feel so bad about it. He said, you know, it doesn't come up all that often, but if a patient truly asked us, what are you rating? Why are you, why are you rating us this way? He said, I'll gladly tell them. And huh. he said, you know, um, we, we keep track of your purchases here in our practice and, um, we like to reward our customers who spend money with us and also for the attendance issue, you know, uh, he, he would go so far as to say if they, if they were labeled a three, they would no longer be able to schedule with them. They would have to be yeah. a walk-in basis only. Um, and he also said, you know, if I have a uh, two patients waiting at the same time and I know one of them's an A1 and one of them's a D3, He's not even thinking about it. He's going in with that A1, even if that's not right. necessarily how the schedule was. So hmm. I hmm. think in our in our small town practice, it would be, I would have a hard time pulling that off, I think. Um, both the fact that I don't necessarily want to have any judgment or, or you know, preconception before I walk in with a patient. I want to treat everybody equal. Yeah. But I'm also the only practice in town. Um, he had some good points where he's got competitors and, you know, more like a Lincoln or Omaha, like you guys. And he's like, I'm just spinning my wheels trying to win over these D threes and I'm never going to win them over. He said, mm. occasionally maybe one will bump up, but it's going to be pretty rare. 
And mm. I would rather take the, you know, the initiative to see more A1s and Bs and Cs. And if these Ds end up leaving my practice and going over to my competitor, I don't, that, that's no skin off. My, and it's almost like a yeah. offense and defensive play for him. You know, it, it is interesting. I, I think, you know, we can, I, if I really want to explore the ethics and I might just offline ask you who this is, cause I'd love to reach out to them and see if they'd be willing to discuss this a little bit more because, you know, right away, I, I'm, I kind of have that same, uh, same assumption that you have is that no, 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 I, I'm not going to do that. I do. I, I totally get the, the labeling of one through three, by the way, I think that's a, sure. a totally, uh, legitimate way to kind of assess a patient's situation and, and what they're likely to do to your practice. We've, we've seen recently and, and Darren, you and I were kind of talking about this offline, but, um, you know, we've seen recently over the last two months, we went back in my schedule to see how many, uh, last minute. And what I mean by that is a week before their appointment, how many people rescheduled, uh, last minute within that week canceled or no showed. And I was basically getting, um, I'm getting eight a week basically. So what, what that translates into is that, you know, if I look out in one week from now, totally booked and, and that's the case for the next three weeks. And that's why we have an associate and she's, she's growing her practice as well. Um, but, uh, but it doesn't do anything because it's not something I can actually get back on my books. You know, so, so once I, once that patient moves, it's very hard for us. We, we do our best to try to get patients worked in, moved up, but most of them, um, because we do so much medical care as you do, they're pretty happy with the set time that they've already scheduled and they're not, and we do such a good job pre-appointing that patients aren't running out of stuff early. So it's not like last minute, like, Hey, I got to get in now. You know, most people are like, yeah, I'm happy with this appointment slot. I, I don't need to move it up. So what, what happens then is, is I wind up having uh, two slots a day, basically some in clinic four days a week, um, where, uh, where the, there would have, it was completely full, but now we can't fill it because of a quote unquote last minute, um, change in our schedule. And so, uh, so that's, I think the labeling one through three makes a ton of sense. And we've, we've talked about, well, how do we manage that? And one of the ways we're going to do it is we're going to add two pay, two slots a day. And so if it winds up that two people fall off, then we're fine. You know, we're, we're no big deal, but I don't, you know, I, other than, you know, dentistry sort of has the model of charging patients for that. Um, you know, I, I, I don't necessarily disagree with that model, but I think even if I'm charging a patient 50 bucks and they, and they take up a slot that I can't get back, that didn't help me at all. I mean, our, our revenue per patient is so high that 50 bucks isn't even coming close. And, and even if it's not high, it's still not coming close to the national average. So that would seem to me to be a very good solution. But um, but are you willing, Darren? Are you willing to talk a little bit more about your thoughts on on um, on the grading based on spending habits? Well, I think it's pretty interesting. His his main way he uses that grading scale is just for recall. He just doesn't recall the what is it D threes for sure, and even I think maybe the well any any of the threes probably doesn't recall them just because they mess up his schedule so much consistently. Yeah. And so re recall is his primary thing is he doesn't pre-appoint or recall them at all. Hmm. And, uh, and then the only other thing he mentioned on the way it affects things is, um, what patients he goes and sees first, yeah. which isn't something I would do. Right. But you know, maybe if you had it in a, in a more competitive, larger city, maybe you would do that. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so that would be the primary thing. And I, I don't disagree with that. And most, most large companies have some kind of reward system for their best customers. 
And so I could see it. He didn't really talk about this, but I see it as um, your A1s are on some kind of a special invitation list whenever you have an open house yep. or you can get some other perks like, you know, every other big company does with their reward points. So I thought I thought it was pretty interesting. It's the the big problem I think with implementing that is when it when people find out that they're being graded, if they don't know what the grading system is, they're going to assume negative things like people do. Right. They're going to assume you're grading them on uh, how they look um, and what shoes they wear right. and things like that, even though that's not really what you're doing, and they may not have a big as big of a problem with the way you're really doing it. Yeah. But if they don't know that and they don't see it written out or talk to somebody about it, they're just going to assume the worst. Yeah. And I thought too, with, with your staff, just implementing it properly to where, like, I think I, as a doctor could look at the rating system and not treat anybody differently, but I worry about the staff uh, playing into it too much and becoming a <laughs> kind of a power yeah. hierarchy that they treat people differently. But he gave the impression that he, has very well-trained staff. And that's, um, I think a big part of why it would be successful. Well, so then, you know, there are probably, probably good ways to implement that. And, and, um, and so like, for sure, I can totally see the idea of, of eliminating, you know, let, let's say your quote unquote patients that are always problems. They're never happy. They're always challenging things. You know, they're, they're, uh, and I, I completely get that where they, they don't want to, they're not adherent to your recommendations, but yet they come in complaining about the same things. You know, they, they get their, um, glasses from, from someplace that they're getting two for 50 bucks. And then they're coming back the next year complaining about how they can't see in them. And you've gone through the process of explaining what, you know, the difference and showing them why they should be able to see through the foropter, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, so I can I can completely see the benefit of doing that, especially you know when you're when you are trying to um, kind of give a a um, a premium uh, service to patients, and you're trying to spend adequate time with them to actually deliver care in a way that um, will address their concerns. Sometimes you just you know you just can't afford to continue to do that if nobody's going to listen to you. And so I think there's probably something to those grading scales, uh, maybe not. You know, in my mind, maybe not dollars right away, but it'd be I'd be hard pressed to think about the dollars point. But but certainly, uh, grading scales. How would you implement that? So if if you were going to say take a grading scale, if we're going to take dig a little bit deeper here, Rusty, if you were going to use a grading scale, let's say it's not dollars, it's something else that's that's uh, you know based on patient care and, and show up rate, all those kind of things. How would you implement that in your practice? What do you think? Well. I think, like Darren was saying too, if you could have a way to, to distinguish who you're, even though you're not going by by money necessarily, but who your most valuable patients are, not by how much yep. they spend, but by how likely they are to show up. I think any way that you can fine tune your recalls to where you're sending that out to the people that are going to show up. Yeah, I think you, I think you have to have some type of grading scale. Um, I, I I tend to think this one is pretty good, but like you said, I don't I don't know how I would implement it if I wasn't looking at dollars necessarily. Yeah, no, I mean that's it's just I'm trying to explore that idea a little bit more, and um, you know, I remember. You know, I even think from a dollar standpoint, it's not necessarily bad. You know, like what Darren is talking about is that, you know, big companies reward those patients, those, those customers slash patients who are doing a lot of business with them. 
And, um, you know, I, I can't remember who it was. I want to say it was Walt West, but I'm not sure that that's accurate. But somebody was telling me that what they do is they, they look at like their, their families that, that spend a lot in their practices every year and they take them out to dinner. They take like the top five families out to dinner with, with them every year. And just as a thank you for either referring a lot of people or, or, you know, patronizing, you know, uh, patronaging, patronaging for being loyal to their business, right? Being loyal to their business. And, um, and so, uh, I think there's nothing wrong with that. I think, you know, there's, um, we for, so yeah, I think that that can actually play well into, um, into good customer relations. Um, and it may not be something that we, you know, we, we kind of want to shun away is, especially if it helps us grow the practice. So that's really the key is how does that help us grow our practice down, downstream? Darren, what do you think about like, like when you talk about growing your practice and we talked about before we were, when we were off, offline, some of the struggles as a, as a practice, as you go over time, you, we see that, um, there's sort of these ebbs and flows. And I think when you've been in practice long enough, you kind of know that there's, there's going to be this in, entirety of growth over time but you hit spots of of um kind of slow spots and so i still i've been in practice now almost 11 years and we've you know you were talking about the last couple of months being slower than than usual and it's been the case for us january was a really slow month but when i look at january you know my dad was out of the practice for basically two full weeks you know we didn't see patients for two full weeks i was out of the practice for a baby for a week and um and but then you, know, you look at that and you're kind of like, Ugh. You know, you want, we want to grow your practice and that's, and that's kind of what we're used to doing. So how do you take a step back from that? And Darren, kind of with your, your longevity in practice, does that still bother you or, you know, it's going to happen and how do you plan for it? And, you know, what's your experience been with that? Well, I think you're correct that, uh, when you step back, you can look at over time that these lulls happen. So it, that doesn't mean it doesn't bother me while it's happening because my mind can go to, you know, like. Maybe this is the start of the decline of our practice. But when I step back, I think of um, John Crotty would always tell me that, oh, I've been practicing a long time and these things, these things just happen. And he was never, it never really seemed to bother him when we were at a slow time because, you know, with his longevity of practice, uh, he saw that that happened occasionally and, and he always got through it before and he knew he would again. And so I kind of know that too. Not that it doesn't bother me while it's happening and try to make things better. Um, but, uh, I do realize that that's going to happen once in a while. And we are, I think our months of January and February are traditionally a little bit slower anyway, but the weather we had, um, was exceptionally bad this year. And with our uh, rural population uh, of, uh, average age is quite a bit older than probably most people's practices. Um, that hurts us probably more than the average. So I'm not too worried yeah. about, but there was a little lull there that was happening. So I think that in general, it's just kind of knowing that those things happen over time in your practice, especially if you're taking time away from the practice mm-hmm. and, um, and especially for like the, the people new to practice, obviously is kind of who we're, we're speaking to now is that, you know, it's going to happen occasionally. You just don't want it to happen too frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you also don't want to make some changes that, you know, knowing that it, it might just be a, a certain anomaly, like you're talking about where you're just taking time off. True. <clears throat> you know, I'm taking a little time off here late, lately, but in January and February, we were working pretty well. And, uh, but we have, yeah. you know, a lot of new things going on with, we purchased a new practice and we have a new associate and, you know, so there's some, some things going on with, uh, bringing on a, a second practice that, you know, takes a bit to get it going. And, 
so we're having our challenges with that but overall it's going well can you can you uh you know, can you walk me through some of those decisions of, of doing that? I, I mean, obviously the CEO summit may have had some ability for you to kind of step outside and think as more as a CEO in that realm. But when you bought that other practice, when you bought that second practice, um, what were, what, what, well, what were you thinking? I mean, just in general, what were you thinking about? Well, what's we, the goal? We have had no intention of, you know, purchasing more practices and growing our practice that way. But the opportunity was, um, you know, we're the only practice in our small town and the, the next town to the north of us that has an optometrist um, is a bigger town. And the, the doctor that we bought the practice from is retiring. And so um, we told him we would be interested in purchasing it if he ever wanted to, to retire or sell. And so he contacted us and said that uh, he would entertain that kind of an offer. And so we just did it partially um because the the potential to grow that practice in the bigger town we think is is really big um and partly we because we thought if we didn't do it then you know somebody else might come in and and purchase it and grow it and start to compete more with us and so it just was a seemed like a just an easy decision when you looked at all the the factors to go ahead and purchase it even though it is uh substantially more work to try to run a practice that you're not in as much. Are you, are neither of you, Rusty, you and Darren aren't seeing patients in that practice? Um, I did for Darren the works for. Okay. Yep. Yep. And so, and I'd like um, to do rotations up there too. It's just hard when we have a full book in our practice to have negative cash flow to go up there and not have a full book. Um, we're trying to strategize that the best way we can. Yeah. So basically, if you and, if you see half as many patients when you go up there, you're, you're losing all the income from the the patients you would have seen in your core practice, and so your uh, your income is substantially, you know, hit by that. So, so how when when um because you you brought in a new associate to kind of take over with that practice, correct? Correct. And is she also seeing patients in your in your main practice as well? Yes. So she, and, she and so when she's in Auburn, have you been able to kind of because um, you know I think when the, there's a culture in a practice, and you guys have known how to cultivate that culture, but a lot of times when 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 doctors come out of school, they they're really well trained, but um and they they sort of have you know obviously they have ethics and they and they sometimes have some vision on how they want to to run a practice. But oftentimes they just want to see patients and take good care of patients. So part of what you're doing is kind of grooming her to have the same culture, the same values that you both have uh, in into the new practice over time. So what have you done to do? And, and they also have to take ownership of that new practice. So what are the kind of stuff that that's worked well for you to to kind of grow that culture and that ownership and um, and work with 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 your new doctor? Well, I'll say that uh, that is the you know, one of the main reasons you want the new associate to work in your your core practice, um, where you've kind of established long term culture there, um, to see what that's like, so they can you know implement it in their in their practice that they're going to be in primarily. So that's why we wanted her to be in our practice uh, to get a sense of that. Uh, but we also felt like we weren't doing a very good job of maybe communicating with her and 
giving her authority and giving her power to make changes. And so that's one of the reasons we wanted, we were real interested in going to the CEO summit or this uh, wisdom sharing group um, because we knew that we were going to be set up with other practices that had multiple locations and, and um, multiple doctors uh, to learn how they did some of these things. So we did get a few tips and part of our action items at the end were about trying to uh, get her uh, like she's feeling more at home and empowered. empowered. Exactly. Yeah. Is there anything specific that you can do that you've learned from that, from that wisdom sharing that, that will kind of help people not only feel empowered, but actually be empowered? Yeah, I got a couple uh, tidbits there. So one nice tip that somebody said was, because we're like, you know, we're going to have these quarterly meetings with both offices together. And um, they're like, make sure you have her lead the meeting, uh, to, at least to start off the meeting. And kind of, you know, have us looking at her as being in the lead. Um, we'll both empower her to do it and to have the courage. And, you know, it might be tough the first couple of times, but that'll get easier. But also to have all the staff seeing seeing her in charge and us letting her lead. Um, so we're going to try that at our quarterly meeting. And then I don't know if you've read, we, we, uh, heard of a couple really good books. Maybe you've already read them, Chris, but I haven't, um, the five dysfunctions of a team and the ideal team player. Have you no, heard of, either of those? Okay. No. Well, a lot of people in our group had read it and I was like, okay, maybe I need to look into this. And they said that, uh, there's a media sharing thing through vision source is website. Um, that you can actually go on there and there's kind of a video guided uh, book club type deal where you could do a chapter and then answer some questions. And they said it's really well done on those two is books. That, is that right now media at work? Yes. I believe that's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to put links to that book and then I'll also put a link to um, to right now media uh, in the show notes because I, I agree it, it's that's a huge tool that we have for some of those kind of messages. Yeah, absolutely. I hadn't heard of it and I'm pretty excited about it. So that was my personal goal. Leaving the the summit was to, uh, I'm going to schedule a night for Dr. Wright and our new associate and myself and maybe our, our COO to go through these and see what we take out of it and then determine if we're going to have all our team leaders in our practice go through it, or maybe even our entire staff try to gauge how it'll be best to, to try to help implement culture because we do have a good culture, but we can always improve on it in our current practice. We also want to have a way to establish that in the new practice. And I think that's a good place to start. Yeah. I, you know, did you, you, um, you heard, uh, Dory's talk in the beginning of January were you, yes, Darren, you were, you were there and Rusty, you were there too. And I think there's so many times that, that we take the culture of our practice for granted. Um, and I think, I think there's a couple things and I, and I never get the sense when I'm talking to Dory or, or, or Pete that their cultures are lacking. They're purposeful, but they're also, um, they're also empowering, which I think is part of it, but they're not empowering f- in a fake way. So I, I, you know, sometimes I think people can, kind of give the illusion of empowerment to somebody. And once they realize that uh, they're not fully empowered, then they, you know, it just sort of crumbles everything. 
So I think what you're saying is is completely uh, resonating with me is that, you know, as I was transitioning into practice, that's one of the things that my dad did is I was leading those meetings, you know, in our in our weekly meetings. And when when anybody one of the other things he did, which I thought was really valuable uh, for our for our staff, was that if anybody came with a problem for, you know, for for one of the doctors, he would always he would send them to me first. And what that forced me to do is sort of have to, if I didn't understand the answer, I would, I would say, okay, well, let me think about this or, you know, talk to, to Dr. Steve. Um, and it, it did two things. One, it, as you're saying, it showed me as the authority to, um, to the other people on our team who over time are going to have to view me that way. And two, it actually forced me to think through how I would solve this issue or how I would want them to solve the issue or put it back on them to solve. And in those cases where I couldn't know, or I didn't know, or I wanted his input, then I would always come back to him. And so that, that taught me how to, it taught me about our practice identity and our practice culture and our practice values without sitting Chris down and saying, this is how we do things, Chris. And it's so valuable. That's smart. Good points. Okay, well then, thanks for that. <laughs> By the way, uh, uh, I, you know, I I tend to think that um, I'm not as good at um, at developing some of that stuff in others as I'd like to be. I think my dad was really good at it. I get the sense, Darren, that you're good at it, and and Rusty, your dad was very good at it. And so, um, I I kind of some of these conversations help me reflect on, you know, okay, well maybe there is stuff that that um, that I can do better and that was done really well for me. And so, um, so that's helpful just even hearing you say that and kind of making me jog my memory of, of those sorts, sorts of things that were beneficial to me that helped me mm-hmm. kind of step up. Um, all right. Well, so where do you go from here with, uh, with some of these, these tools, you said you're meeting again in October. And when you think about the wisdom sharing group, um, you know, it's eight hours is a long time to kind of rehash some things. And so I'm sure there's a lot of stuff that you thought you were doing really well or that you came away from thinking you're doing really well. What do you think in your practice is the biggest opportunity for what you're doing well for both of those practices in terms of growing your practice? That's a challenging question. I, it just sort of spawned on, you know, dawned on me. So say that again, you're saying, what is our yeah, when you look at when you look at what you do well in your practice, you know, there's certainly you came away from this wisdom sharing group with I- identifying areas that you wanted to work on. We've talked about those, but you probably were reinforced just as I as I was sort of discussing with you before is that there's other things that you probably realize you're doing really well and there are opportunities for you to continue to do those things well and grow. Did you reflect on that? And if so, what what were some of those things? Not all at once, well, here, Darren. Yeah. <laughs> Wait for you to start. <laughs> well, I, th- I always think the thing that um, we do well is the patient experience. We have caring staff. Um, we have caring doctors, and we give good recommendations. Um, and we have trained staff uh, that uh, educate patients. They don't sell to patients. So they make their patients feel like, you know, they're not being pushed to buy things, but encouraged to buy things that fit their needs. So I think we have just a good patient experience, a good culture in our practice. 
and I feel like we do pretty well at the at the core thing, so we get those good um, internal referrals. Well, I think that's that's one of the things that I wanted to have you both on for is is not to you know one of the things I've admired about about both of you and the practice in general, your legacy is this un, unwavering commitment to doing what is best for the patient, which obviously we all all kind of hope that that we're doing that and we think we're doing that, but um, sort of this unapologetic um, commitment that. We're going to do what we know is right based on the evidence and based on how we, we're caring for patients. And, um, and if, if that's something that a patient doesn't want or something that a patient um, can't afford, doesn't matter. It's, it, it, we have other solutions for them that may not be the best, but we're not going to be apologetic for, um, for doing what we think is the best for the patient. I, I always get the sense when I talk to you both about that, that that's sort of an underlying um, very strong core that is refreshing to see and it it's important and I, I think that can get lost in a lot of the discussions that people have when we're talking about dollars and cents obviously we got to run our practices it is a business but um, but as the old adage goes if you take care of patients then they'll take care of the practice and um, and I just I just love seeing that and I think that that is really resounding when I see what you're doing really well and it's sort of reflected in what you have have talked about is that that is a it, it's and it's not and it's not by accident and it's a very strong uh, current that's running through your practice. So I, I just want to compliment you on that. Yeah, I think well that said. makes thank a you. lot of yeah, thank you for that. Um, I think that makes a lot of our decisions, of, you know, about how we run our practice easier when you're just basically doing the right thing morally and doing it in your patient's interests. It just makes it makes a lot of decisions easier. Well, it helps you believe in things. You know, I mean, when when I make a when I make a recommendation based on something that I know the evidence tells me, then I know my recommendation is co- is confident, and patients will take that recommendation. And um, and if I prescribe something based on what the evidence tells me I should do, and based on my clinical experience, and a patient decides not to do it at first in practice, it can be kind of challenging. You know what I mean? You can you can feel like, man, why isn't this patient listening to what I'm recommending for them? They don't want to do it. And, um, and that can kind of, kind of take a, a hit, whether it's, um, you know, based on your MPOD findings or based on your category of AMD or, um, based on your, you know, your osmolarity or your inflammatory, you know, whatever it is that the recommendations you're making are, are, um, are solid and you can feel good about them. That actually really increases your, your, the, the patient follow through when you believe in what you're, what you're telling them. Absolutely. And, and um, your job and so satisfaction it, as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Isn't that right? And then all this right. other stuff comes. I think the other stuff comes. But um, but anyway, I, I, I just want to bring that up because it's an observation I've had over time and I think it's it's important. Let me ask you a different question then. Um, if you think about, you know, I, I, I keep kind of trying to wrap my mind around some of the challenges within our profession um, and challenges in healthcare in general. And you're in a different, you have a different perspective than me because I'm, I'm in a metropolitan area and, and you all are in a rural area. So what do you look at as, I mean, Rusty, I'll just ask you this. When you think about challenges to our profession, challenges to the way that you can deliver care for patients and make those solid recommendations, you know, what do you think is a, is a significant challenge that, that we need to overcome as a profession? Oh, I think it's, 
going to be primarily the fact that our eye exam is being devalued by <clears throat> a lot of the online free eye exams, get your contacts reordered. You, all you have to do is punch in some numbers and, and uh, if that becomes the perception that that's what an eye exam is, it's going to become challenging to educate the majority of the public. I think anybody who comes through our practice gets it because we spend so much time educating them on, on why proper care is important and why routine eye care is important. But I, I worry about the general public, the people who are going in for quick eye exams who maybe don't see the big difference between those exams and what they would get online. And I know our state is working hard to ensure that the laws protect the general public, but I don't know if that's the case all the way across the country. And it does put a little fear in me just that the public can get duped, um, can get fooled that they're getting eye care when they're really just being sold something by somebody who has no interest in their well-being. Well, there, uh, Rusty Drew and I kind of spoke about this at length a couple times, and and it's a it's a conversation I I keep coming back to because well not not because I mean I didn't put any words in your mouth, but it's very interesting that it sort of seems to be on the very tip of everybody's tongue, and I always think that the solution is sort of simple. Like if everybody just did what Rusty Crotty and Darren Wright are doing every day, then that's a non-issue. And so, but, you know, at the same time, then it's easy for us to point fingers, right? Like we could say, well, it's not me. It's not my practice. I'm, I'm, I'm not doing these things. I'm making sure that patients understand all the stuff that I do. And yet sometimes we get busy and sometimes yep. we get complacent. And so there's this constant, you know, fighting that, okay, I've got another patient in the next room, slow down, take mm -hmm. your time with this patient, make sure you solve these problems and you communicate effectively. And, um, and so I, you know, I think, I think there is, I absolutely think uh, it's, it all comes down to, even though we can um, regulate from a state government relations standpoint, from a NOA standpoint, we can help states make sure that patients are having safe evaluations remotely, if that's going to be the case, or that's going to be the model in the future. And there are certain, you know, structural legislative things that can be in place that can protect patients in that way. But, um, but I think you're right in that it does come down to public perception of what we do. And, um, and so you can impact your microcosm and, uh, and you can kind of, but, but it has to come from us. You know, we have to, everybody has to kind of do this sort of thing. Otherwise patients will just think we're, you know, we're just good for whatever those numbers are on the piece of paper. Yep. Good point. But the other difference though, Rusty, the other difference that I think is important is that what you're doing is you're helping apply those numbers. So you're asking patients a lot about, um, you know, what their lifestyle is. And so a number, numbers on a piece of paper don't really mean anything in terms of what you're prescribing. Oftentimes, I would imagine um, the type of lenses and, and designs of those lenses that you're recommending for patients are different based on what they're doing, even though the numbers are the numbers. And that's not something they can get online. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think you nailed it there. It's it's taking the time to take that good patient history and have a conversation and know know what they really 
need and also what they want. Yeah. Do you think, um, so is there a barrier, you know, you guys are talking about purchasing that other practice. Do you think there's a barrier? Is that part of, of kind of the longevity of, of the profession? Darren, is there any, anything to that as a challenge where it, it does take, um, a certain, uh, financial structure that can come in and purchase a practice like that as well as sleepless nights. Mm-hmm. Where do you think that, that you know, opportunity is? I mean, obviously Dr. Solansky was lucky that, that, um, that you guys were ready to come in and, and do that. But, um, what do you think the biggest miss is or the biggest challenge for kind of that su- succession planning is for a lot of doctors? Well, I think just knowing some situations around our area, um, and talking to other rural doctors, um, younger doctors about practices they looked at and things is in some of those, um, smaller town rural areas, uh, the doctors let their practices slide in the end, you know, they don't want to buy the expensive OCT and, and other technology that younger doctors are going to want. And then it's hard for a younger doctor to come in and look at all the things they're going to need to improve and decide to uh, purchase a practice like that. So I think uh, some of the succession challenges have to do with um, some of the doctors that want to retire um, just in their last, um, you know, 10 years or whatever are not keeping their practices up to date just because of the financial, the, you know, on paper that looks like it's going to be pretty expensive when I'm going to retire in a few years, but really it's an investment on being able to sell your practice in, in the future. That is a little bit of uh, the challenges I've seen in some practices. Rusty, if you, if you can, um, when you, when you're ready to become a partner in the practice, um, financially had you prepared yourself well early on you know uh, drew and i talked about this recently but did you prepare your finance financially did you prepare yourself throughout school um what was that you know in terms of of becoming a partner was there other you know did did can can you expand upon that a little bit if you don't mind where you you don't have to be super specific but as specific as you want to be how did how did you because i think part of succession planning in general is planning well in advance and having lots of discussions along the way. I, I think um, I was talking to uh, Tom Chapman this morning, Cheryl's husband. We had breakfast and, you know, um, we were just talking in general about, about these sorts of things. And he said that, um, and, and you know, he, he consults with businesses that are growing and, and helps them grow as, as a MBA and a, and a, uh, a lawyer. And, um, and he was saying, you know, one of the things that a lot of doctors will do is they'll, they'll hire a new associate and they'll have no real discussions about long-term plans for for what is going to happen in the practice. And so five, 10 years go down the road and and the senior doctor is assuming that the junior doctor is going to buy them out and they're ready to go. And and then all of a sudden it's like, nope, I'm I'm gonna start a practice right down the street. So uh, <laughs> so how do you how do you go through that? How how does that discussion happen? How did it happen for you? No, that's actually my plan. I'm going to open up a practice <laughs> down the street. Darren <laughs> just doesn't know about it. That out, Chris. <laughs> there you go, Darren. Thanks, thanks, Rusty. Um, That'll get a lot of hits on the podcast. <laughs> Controversy. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, no, I don't know how much my situation is helpful to most people, and the fact that I'm blessed that I am coming into a family business. Um, granted, I still have to purchase the shares from my father. Um, but Darren and I worked out a favorable agreement with me that the, the practice is purchasing the shares from my, my dad. 
And so uh, I am a partial owner right now and just slowly obtaining more shares. Um, but I don't share the dividends necessarily equal to what my mm -hmm. shares would be. You know, Darren has taken a, a a bigger cut to compensate for the fact that we're paying my dad from the business's revenue. There's some, I think there's something, go ahead, Darren, go ahead. Oh, I, I didn't. I, mean, oh, I thought I you were going to say something. I, I mean, I can oh. describe <laughs> as much as you want. No, I think there's, yeah, no, I, I think there's, it's, it's very interesting. You know, that's, it's, there are things that happen like that, that, you know, I think it comes down to when, when those practice transitions occur, most of it is if you're dealing with it up front and, and you're revisiting it often, I mean, revisiting it just over time to make sure it's working out. I mean, obviously you have contractual agreements and those sorts of things, but, um, but it, it it's you know those business relationships are you know ought to be on paper but they ought to be you know a communication as opposed to like a one i think a one time deal decision that never yep. gets revented again yeah a one time decision and and i think if going into it you know that that's sort of the price you're paying rusty right you're paying darren over time and more dividends um to to use the practice to to buy john out then you're comfortable with that and Darren's comfortable with that because he knew it going in. And, um, and it, it's, uh, it's something that on the front end you've done. And then yeah, I imagine in the future, there's going to become a point in time where that stops and, and then things might change. Maybe Darren is seeing patients a day a week and Rusty's seeing patients five days a week and you, you're readdressing how that happens. What do you think? Um, but I think that's really important. I like that scenario, Chris. I like that scenario. What's that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Yeah, well, here. I mean, uh, yeah, I think there. The point I'm trying to make is that um, I'm trying to trying to figure out how those discussions occur, and um, and kind of be helpful to kind of the listeners that are thinking about, well, how do we how do we move our practice into the next uh, place without necessarily a buyer who can afford right away to purchase them out? You know, it's the yeah. it's the old private equity discussion. And, um, you know, we did have some good discussions on that. And, you know, like I said earlier, that's one of the reasons we were interested in the wisdom sharing group with practices that had multiple partners or associates and getting some of their ideas. And because we are bringing on, uh, uh, this new associate with, um, most, we all have talked about, uh, future ownership deal you know if everything's going well after mm -hmm. you know a year or two then we can start talking about how that's going to progress like you said you know be open and you know communicate how this is going to go on and not just um you know assume things are going to happen in the future um, and we got a couple of of good ideas one was uh, a website called gratify and that help that helps the um associate pay their student loans mm. and i don't know if you ever heard of that no no gratify is g-r-a-d-i-f-i oh, okay. dot com Oh, some people had used that or at least had looked into it and, and thought it was an inter interesting thing that just helps them pay off their student loans. And um, I think it has some tax benefits to do yep. that. And another thing people were doing was um, part of their bonus structure for their associate would be on paper, like maybe half of their bonus would go towards their future buy-in. Hmm. And kind so like if they left account. after three or five years. Ah, interesting. Yeah. So if they left, they wouldn't get any of that money. Interesting. But if they stayed, that money would go towards them buying in to help them out a little bit, you know, so those big numbers would, you know, be a little bit more attainable. Yeah. I thought yeah. that was an interesting tip. 
Yeah, plus it binds them to the practice so so Rusty can't leave and open up down the street next month. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, that's a great pearl. I, I like both of those. Um, well, okay. Yeah, go ahead, Darren. Oh, I was just going to say they're nuggets, not pearls. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Gold, <laughs> golden <laughs> nuggets. They're nuggets. Golden nuggets, yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> All right. Well, so I want to be respectful of your time and uh, any other kind of thoughts or, or things that, that I, you are hoping to kind of discuss uh, on, on some of the wisdom sharing or CEO summit that, that you really took away that was uh, really relevant for your practice that we didn't hit on? Um, I can think of one more nugget that was shared with a group. I, we didn't feel it would be super beneficial for our practice, but there was other, other groups that seemed pretty excited about it was, uh, just having a little ID badge that would be able to sign you in for your passwords um, oh, rather yeah. than typing in your password every day a hundred times. So a lot of people seem pretty excited about that. I thought I'd share that too. You know, Do you I remember uh, the company during that. I can't remember the company that they um, referenced. Booyah. Yeah, oh, Booyah was, Booyah. was like the fir- huh. firm that was uh, offering that, but, but they didn't, couldn't remember the name of the actual card. But Bunia was like the IT firm that they went through to get it. Do you know we had a we had a uh, a webinar last month with Bunia, and hmm. it was uh, yeah. And you were both invited, but that's okay. I understand if you want <laughs> if you want to listen to it. It was recorded, so on the Monday morning minute from last week or this week, you'll you can actually have access to that, so you can watch it. But but Bunia talked about cybersecurity, and you know one of the things that I liked about Bunia, you know, uh, they they don't do our IT. But one of the things I'm always thinking about is kind of added value. How do companies that we use, that we pay money to add value to our practice? And, um, and that was one of the things that, that I think like uh, Cheryl and I have talked about this before is, um, you know, you have an IT company that comes in and really it's just about like who can do it as most cost efficient as possible without any headaches. Like I don't want to think about my IT. I want, I want to pay you whatever we're going to pay you, whether it's, you know, on a, a per hour basis or a retainer basis. I want to pay you that. And then I don't want to think about it. I want it to work. Well, most companies probably do that pretty well, right? Like, like if they're doing those things, they're going to do them pretty well. But what I want out of a company is, and this is really what we try to do when we schedule um, meetings with, with vendors through vision sources. Don't just tell me like, you know, what you do and how much, you know, and what, what your services are. But like bring to me ideas like, you know, the, the IT realm. And if you know optometry offices really well, you know where those pain points are. So you, every time like like they're talking about every time I've got to walk into a patient and type into the type into my computer, my password, that takes me time. And over over an entire day, if it's 20 seconds, you know, if it's 20 seconds every time over an entire day, that might wind up being if I have to type in when I walk into a room and I walk out of the room, walk into another room, I mean, it could be 20 minutes of time. That could be an entire patient that they could, they could add to my schedule by just something as simple as that. And so I really think, I really encourage most companies when we talk to them is to say, all right, well, you know, our practice and you know how, you know how practices operate and you know where those pain points are, figure it out in a way that can help us not just use your product, but be a, a partner with us. And and I, I actually think um, when Bunya brought that up, it was something that I was just kind of thinking out loud with Cheryl, you know, months and months ago, we we're having a conversation. And I was like, well, we could, why can't we find somebody that will have password cards for our, for our computers? And my IT company doesn't do that. And they, they brought that right up. I was like, that's awesome. You know, that, that would work awesome. 
So it's stuff like that that I hope that people can can get out of some of these conversations. And also, um, you know, in general, when they're when they're discussing, hopefully, other companies when you know when they approach us, is to say, well, how can we use your products and your services uh, to help our practice grow? Um, and so that's a huge pearl. So yeah, Bunya, if you guys want to learn more about them, <laughs> we did a whole yeah. hour discussion with them. Busted. That was. <laughs> 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 no, I'll have to reach out to them and, and see if they want to sponsor this episode. <laughs> there you go. But uh, it was interesting. That was uh, you know voted on by the entire group of practices at the Wisdom Sharing Group, and that was the number one um, thing huh. that people uh, thought was the best best nugget. So, wow, very cool. Yes, going there. But uh, I did want to say that we sure appreciate Chris and all the things you do for us. And uh, one of the things about Vision Source, like you um, mentioned. The biggest value for us for Vision Source is not the uh, the money saving part of it. It's the valuable discussions when we get together with our local group, and then now this wisdom sharing group is a uh, you know the next level of that for us. So I think uh, a lot of people think a Vision Source group is you know the how much the royalty costs them and how much money they can save on on products and services. But uh, really for us, the if that all just kind of breaks even, um, the, the interaction and, and pearls and nuggets we get are uh, worth far more than any royalty payment we, we put in. So we appreciate Vision Source a lot. Thanks for saying that, Darren. I, I appreciate that. I, I, I hope that that's, you know, I, I totally agree. I think it's all about... Um, you know, that other stuff has to make sense. And it, it mostly does. I mean, I, if you're, if you're, if you're even just sort of scraping, like a scrape in the surface, it should make sense. But I, I truly believe it's about, it's about the growth and you can't get the growth unless you're talking to other people, having the interaction and figuring out how to better run your practice and take better care of patients. So thank you both for coming on Rusty, Darren, really appreciate your time tonight. Thank you. Chris. Um, you're welcome. Yeah. You're thanks welcome. for having us. We'll talk to you guys soon.